This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In a sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. Today's guest is Jaya, a somatic sexologist and educator. Jaya is one of the featured experts in our new series, Sex, Love, and Goop, which is out today on Netflix. On the show, Jaya works with a couple who at first appear to have a sexual mismatch, but as they bravely work with Jaya, they begin to see that perhaps the idea of sexual incompatibility is simply a myth. Jaya has spent two decades studying what turns people on. Over time, she developed something called the erotic blueprint, which reveals your primary arousal language, sensual, kinky, sexual, energetic, or shapeshifter. Jaya describes your erotic blueprint as a map to your own wiring, and she believes that we can all learn how to speak different erotic languages. I hope that you learn as much from Jaya as we have. And if you're looking for more relationship and intimacy tools after the episode, head to goop.com backslash podcast sex. But first, let's get to my chat with Jaya. I just want to say thank you so much for doing the show. It's, it's so, so good. So how did you, how did you come to this profession? Hmm, it's always a really good question because I think, you know how some people are just really good at things when they're young and really um, drawn to something? When I was young, I saw Dr. Ruth and I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a sexologist. And I told my parents that I wanted to go into fertility because that felt way safer than saying I want to help people with their sex lives. But I either want to be a singer when I grew up or I wanted to be a sexologist and help people with their sex lives. So it's like when I was little, it's what I wanted to be when I grew up. 
It is actually amazing. You know, a lot of kids have no idea what they want to be, which is awesome. But the kids that really orient towards something at a very young age, I find that really fascinating too. That's like a whole, I, I was the same with acting. I wanted to do it from the time I was tiny. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was the one who told all my friends where babies came from. I was like, no, 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 not the stork, <laughs> not let me tell you the facts. And you know, here's your uterus and there's this egg and there's sperm. And you know, like that was me as a kid. That's so great. So how do you be, how do you go from wanting to help people with their sexuality and their sex lives into creating a practice? And specifically, I'm so curious as to how you ideated your amazing erotic blueprint and the quiz that came out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the practice was having the ability to be with so many people in my own private practice, but also as a in that early stage of my career, it was, who are we? Who are we? I was fascinated by this, by personality tests and who am I and how do I work with people who seem different than me and honor them and love them. And so this was an inquiry from a very early age. And I, I've been so lucky to have so many amazing mentors. So Jack Morin, who wrote a book called The Erotic Mind. One of the things that struck me in that book was he had these things called core erotic themes. And he based them off of our peak erotic experiences, not out of dysfunction. And that was the first time I was like, oh, that's amazing. That's not a model that's based on something's wrong with you, but on a model based on tell me about who you are. Tell me about your peak experiences. And then from that, he created a theme that would show up. And then we would want to repeat that theme. And that was what turned you on. That was what brought you pleasure. That was what was healthy in your in your sexuality for most people. And then that and then another mentor, Joseph Kramer, who started something called Sexological Bodywork, he taught me how to map someone erotically. Like, here's what turns you on based on touch. So Jack was the mental aspect based on history and peak experiences. And then, and then Joseph was really this idea of what is the body saying and then some of you may have heard esther perel in her book mating in captivity she also talks about erotic blueprints based on tell me how you were loved and i'll show you how you make love so these these were all kind of coming together and then there was my private practice and i had this aha moment one day as i was working on a client and he and his wife were having a lot of trouble not connecting he was having trouble having erections and I was hovering my hands in the air over his body. And all of a sudden he kind of started having these waves and this shaking going through his body. And this was not a person who was like woo woo or into energy or any of those things. And so his eyes popped open. He looked at me and went, what's happening? And she's looking at me going, what are you doing to him? And it's, it, it wasn't necessarily anything that I was doing. I just knew how to tap into his way that he was erotically wired. And I was like, oh, People are wired differently, just like we have personality types, but in touch and in our eroticism and in turn on, we are all different. So this particular person on my table right now, as I'm teaching his wife how to hover her hands and he's getting an erection and he's having this orgasmic experience was energetic. 
And that was the first like aha moment where I was like, oh, some people are sensual, some people are energetic, some people are sexual. And I got those first three blueprints and then the, the last two came later. And the last two are kinky and... Kinky and shapeshifter. Yes. And shapeshifter, right. And so when you're body mapping somebody, because I think it's, I just think it's so fascinating to, first of all, just the kind of the science of sexuality. And that was so, that was what was so fascinating about watching your work in the show as well, because to see people respond sort of, you know, it's almost like their, their brain is checked out of it completely. It's like you, you circumvent, <laughs> you know, the logical part of the brain and you're getting right into the mammal of the person. And I was really struck by how quickly that happened in the body mapping what do you call it? Ceremony? No, exploration. Yeah. More of like a discovery. It's like, <laughs> so oh, how do you do that? Discovering. Part of it is that oftentimes during sex, especially those who are more in the like sensual shadow, our brain is thinking of all these different things and our, our neocortex is really online. And that I learned this actually when I was learning about giving birth to my son because I wanted to have more of like an orgasmic, pleasurable childbirth with him. That's a topic for <laughs> maybe another conversation. But oh no, we're going to get to that. We have to get to that. <laughs> I wanted to learn how to really shut off that thinking mind and get into more of the, the part of the brain. Like women in childbirth can be in a coma and give birth and there's no pain and there's no like struggle. Like it's, it's super easy. And it's like that second stage of labor, it's the same as orgasm. And I thought, wow, well, that's really interesting. How can I help shut off the thinking brain and get more into the body and into our embodiment? And so the body mapping, one, it's the, the presence of what the sensation is. So when we, when we can go into sensation and start to just feel, oh, okay, there's a sensation on this part of my body. And that calms, starts to calm down the part of the body that doesn't feel safe. So if, if any of you who are listening to this are like, oh, it's, it's so hard for me to trust, or it's so hard for me to feel safe in my body, or like my partner's moving too fast for me, these are, these are parts that slow down that brain chatter that is doing that or the nervous system that's getting activated by just saying, I'm touching here now, I'm touching your wrist now, and I'm going to stroke really lightly with my fingertips. And on a scale of one to five, how pleasurable is that? We're calming down the part that's in alarm by saying where we're touching and how we're touching. And then the one to five then gives us a presence to what's the sensation here? What, how does this feel on my body? And so that then starts to put people into this state of calm and relax. And the longer that we do it, sometimes when I'm working with a client, it'll be three hours that we're doing a whole map of their body going through every part of their body. They're, they say to me, like, I've never been that present with myself. Mm. And I think that's a really important key right there is when we start to shut off that chatter, we get super present with our bodies and with ourselves and something else can emerge from that. Mm -hmm. Why are so many of us so disconnected from this side of ourselves, do you think? Hmm. Great question. I think this disconnection starts young. You know, there's body parts that we're not allowed to talk about. There's stay, keep that hidden. We're taught good girls or good people don't do these things. Keep your legs closed. Like we get that conditioning very early in our, in our minds and in our bodies that something isn't okay. It isn't okay to talk about sex. The, 
the lessons and the learnings that we get, I ask audiences all over the world, you know, where did you, what did you learn about sex? And a lot of them say, I didn't get a sex education, but you did get a sex education. The sex education was in the silence. Mm -hmm. The sex education was don't touch down there. The sex education was that's naughty, that's dirty, that's bad, that's wrong. And then as a culture, we have a very, a culture that's very negative about sex mm-hmm. and a culture that doesn't want to talk about it. And so those are messages as well as if I want to talk about it, if I want to have a conversation, if I want to be in my body, something might be wrong with me that I want those things because it's not the cultural norm. And then there's there's everything from what religious upbringing tells us, not just our parents, then there's peers when we start to have coming of age and what we're taught from our peers who also don't know. And so there's been this, because of the silence and the lack of great education and comprehensive education around around it, we have this dysfunction in, in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. And that dates back all the way to the Victorian era, you know, when, when they stopped actually, it wasn't even allowed to study a person with a vulva, their, their body. It was taboo. And so we started even just in the medical community, the clitoris got taken out of anatomy textbooks. If you look at it, you know, back in the early 1800s, you have, I actually have a textbook that has all of the structures of the clitoris in it. And then you go into that era and all of it disappears. All the parts that had to do with pleasure actually disappear from the anatomy and they only had the reproductive parts that were taught medically for many, many decades. Yeah, I think somebody told me at some point in the Victorian era, they started covering table legs. That's when like tablecloths came in because legs were too salacious, even on inanimate objects. Yeah. <laughs> I, I giggle because it's, I live in a bubble, right? I live in a bubble of sexual freedom, my life. And then I remember like, oh yeah, like I'll see a post or I'll see a comment and go, oh yeah, like we still have so much repression around this conversation. It's, it's just fascinating to me that it's still so taboo to talk about sex. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So how can some of us get into your bubble of sexual freedom? How can we (laughs) cultivate, how can we learn from you and and cultivate that a little bit for ourselves? You know, because I think I I very much, you know, in the implicit ways was educated around sex, the way we all were in the culture. And, and I still think, and one of the reasons that I wanted to do this Netflix show, which you so kindly are the star of 
is because I, I really think that when you are close to your sexual self and you allow yourself to experience pleasure and closeness, like there's a huge knock-on effect to that, to, to stress levels, to happiness, to, you know, how you comport yourself in the world, like confident. I, I really believe that it's a cornerstone of, of wellness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have my own, I've had my own struggle with sort of coming into my own sexuality and self-acceptance around it as well, because of the things that you touched on before. And, you know, it's been like a very personal journey for me. And honestly, the reason that I needed help, like the reason that I think I got to where I got to is because my husband, Brad is such a fundamentally non-judgmental person. And so he kind of created this space where I could be, and I'm still like in the process of this, but how can more of us, or like, how can we begin to cultivate this sexual freedom, especially if we don't necessarily have a partner that, you know, is willing to set aside previous notions or preconceptions or whatever, and, or had some religious stuff in their upbringing, which I think is wild in terms of how that permeates down into their sexuality, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A couple of things first that come to mind are one, thanking you for having this conversation, because I think that that's part of it. There's, there's the shifts in the culture. There's doing shows like this one where people can really see into and just like all the courage of all the experts and the courage and the bravery of the participants who went through the transformations that they did. That's, it's huge. And I have this dream that one day, instead of talking so much about war and hate and division, in media and that we actually start to talk about love and pleasure and how we can come together. And, yes. and so thank you so much for your courage to talk about you, your personal life and <laughs> um, how great that you had, you know, your husband to hold that, because I think that that's an important key too. we heal in relationship. We heal yes. with people when they can love and accept us. Perhaps that gives us a little bit of strength to love and accept ourselves. And, and then to add to your deeper question in terms of if we don't have someone or where does this begin? Yeah. And I, I think it begins with slowing down with being with ourselves, which right there is a huge act of courage. It's a, it's a huge act of courage to just close our eyes, take a breath and go, wait a minute, instead of finding pain or discomfort in my body, and, and anyone listening can try this right now, close your eyes, take a breath and go, where is their pleasure right now? Where is their pleasure? Is it in my little toe? Great, you know, just paying attention to your feet might be it, or, or maybe it's, it's somewhere in your heart that you start to feel this expansion of pleasure. And allowing that to expand in your own body right there is the first step of freedom and the first step of courage. So if you found that pleasure, maybe just listening to it and go, okay, pleasure in my heart or pleasure in my little toe. What do you have to teach me? What do you have to share with me? And breathe into that and notice and listen and see if you can love yourself right there 
right in that moment of listening to your own inner intelligence and your own inner guidance because you can listen to gurus galore and mm -hmm. i'm here to guide people back to themselves mm -hmm. not to me or anyone else external from them but to really go in and listen and that's where we gain freedom mm -hmm. is in listening to ourselves and it, it has to be it sounds like it has to be active right because it what what happens naturally when you get quiet or for a lot of us is like the negative voice is the predominant right. one. Oh, right. this hurts me or I'm upset about this or I'm worried about this. And it feels like from what you're saying, you have to take a more proactive stance, an active stance towards cult listening for the pleasure. Is that is that accurate? Yes. being pleasure finders? <laughs> I call it putting pleasure first. It's can we put pleasure first? And it's not to ignore those other voices. It's not to say like, oh, you're wrong or bad voice that is negative or it's like, okay, voice that's negative. Thank you. And you might want to listen to that one a little bit because maybe it's like, I'm scared of this. I'm scared of the pleasure. And sometimes we have to work with those parts of ourselves that are scared or feel like this is bad or wrong or shameful or guilty. Sometimes we have to be in love those parts first before we can get to the pleasure part. Sometimes that's the first step is just like, let me be with myself and love myself right here with where I'm at. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not broken that this negative voice is coming up or this part that hates my body is coming up or this part that's saying, you know, that's my mom. That's like, you, you, you shouldn't be doing this. You know, all those things that chatter in our heads it is sometimes about being with loving them and then going, okay, you've had the stage and now I'm going to listen to pleasure and mm -hmm. see what pleasure can teach me about myself and who am I? I think just even also being in the inquiry of who am I as an erotic person, as an erotic being on this planet? Like I, every cell in our body is wired for pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I believe that pleasure is our birthright. And it's part of what brings us our aliveness and our connection and our intimacy with this world and with life. And so, if oh, we yeah, just otherwise it's, just, it's too hard. Like if there's no pleasure, life is, you know, it's like, what's right? Jeez. Yeah. Life is meant to be lived and enjoyed and in pleasure. Like I can just sit on my back porch and sometimes just listen to a bird sing and be like, wow, like that's orgasmic. That's life. Like we are, we are all a product of sex. Something had sex in order for us to be here. I hear from my women friends a lot that orgasm is really elusive. And so I'm, I wonder, is this, is this just kind of an extrapolation of what you're talking about? There's this disconnect there, or there's, you know, this self-conscious part of the mind is too active. Like what are your top tips for a woman to have an orgasm mm -hmm. on her side, you know, like forget about the partner for a second. Yay. I'm so glad you said that because sometimes we think sex is all about the partner and the partner doing something to us. And we forget that sex is, is, is an act with ourselves, right? It's you have your own sex life with you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And so it doesn't always have to be about someone doing something to you or giving you the orgasm. So I love that. Yeah, the, the top tips I'd say for someone to start this journey into their own orgasmic pleasure. First is just educating yourself about your body, your own anatomy, how you like to have pleasure, who you are as an erotic being. This is the know yourself part. 
it's, it's knowing, well, what feels good? What touches feel good? Maybe it has nothing to do with my genitals. Maybe it's not even touch on my body. And we would call it a central shadow when orgasm seems elusive. It's one of the blueprints, this, this central shadow. It's like you almost get there and then it goes away. Or it, it's like your mind starts to chatter, right? As pleasure starts to get higher and higher. And so the first piece of, okay, well, how does my anatomy work? How do I like to touch it? Having a relationship with it. So this is all that know yourself, that first step. Who, what is my erotic blueprint? Because I think a lot of us try to self-pleasure in the sexual blueprint because it's what the culture says. Yes. This should give you an orgasm, right? Do this, and, do and this stroke. By the way, everyone who's listening, you can go on Jaya's website and actually take the quiz to understand what your sexual blueprint is. I, I love taking that quiz and I was very surprised by the results. <laughs> yeah. What was your type? I was kinky and energetic. Yes. Kinky, energetic. kinky and energetic. Those are, yeah, I can see the energetic for sure. <laughs> energetic for sure. But I was like, Oh yeah, well, okay. I guess <laughs> <laughs> that's so fun. So know yourself as that first step. And then the, the next step that I'd say is important once you know yourself is to have some kind of practice around pleasure that isn't goal oriented. So it isn't about getting to the orgasm. It's often when we let go of the goal of like, oh gosh, I'm so close. And then you're thinking about being so close to orgasm instead of being in the actual experience of the orgasm. And that orgasm isn't just the climax at the end. Right. Or Orgasm is a state of consciousness. <laughs> orgasm for me, it's like, it's like, it's all orgasmic. It's, it's all this place of pleasure. When you let go of the peak of that moment of clim climax being the end all thing. And then the peak of the moment of the climax happens. It's kind of a little bit Zen there. It's like letting go and surrendering just into the pleasure then allows you to have those peaks. And it's not just one peak. Sometimes it's riding what I call a pleasure wave where it goes up and then it comes down a little bit. Like it's supposed to ebb and flow. There's enjoyment and excitement phases, excite and enjoy and excite and enjoy. And I think a lot of people in this chasing of the orgasm or trying to get to the end of the orgasm, they just go excite, 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 excite. And then they sh kind of short circuit out. Mm. And so you can go excitement, excitement, and then let's take a breath and let's go in and let's drop in and, and notice the body sensations, or let's just drop in and have a moment of stillness with our body and breathe. And then we can go back into excite. And what this allows is waves of orgasm versus these peak climaxes. And then you kind of drop biochemically because prolactin kicks in and we have this big spike of dopamine. But then when prolactin kicks in, it kind of drops us into this refractory period. And when you can stay in more of like an orgasmic state for a prolonged time, it starts to train your body differently for more extended times of pleasure, not just the genital sneeze. And there's nothing wrong with the genital sneeze. There's no, nothing wrong with the quick climax that's really <laughs> high and amazing. But to have orgasmic variety and orgasmic choice, I think is important. And then, and then the last piece that I'll say is expanding this definition of self-pleasure and sex and orgasm into, well, what does it look like for an energetic to have an orgasm? Maybe your body shakes and twitches and and, and writhes and you have all this phenomena that shows up, or maybe it's more of 
this sexual orgasm that we think of and that, and that can be all different kinds of places in our body we can have a clitoral orgasm that rolls through the whole clitoris into the legs and everything and then we can have more of a, a g-spot type of orgasm where it's more vaginally focused or maybe it's an orgasm in the sensual blueprint where it's behind the back of your knee or eating a delicious piece of chocolate my goodness these are all orgasmic experiences. So as we start to expand our definition of orgasm, sex, and pleasure, we actually start to have a much more, uh, a richer type of sexual experience. Yeah, and it sounds like it, if we could broaden the definition a little bit and recognize that there's a big spectrum of orgasm, then maybe the pressure's off a little bit. Exactly. Right, exactly. we're not just trying to get to that genital sneeze, right? We're, yes. we're, we're, we're starting to really understand the spectrum of it. So in the show, you work with this amazing couple named Damon and Erica, and they come together very mismatched sexually, or they think they are, I should say. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting in the show because you can see the resentment and the frustration there between them. And you know, I was thinking, oh man, how is this going to resolve? Cause there's this like fundamental lack of connection or understanding. And I don't want to give, you know, too much away, but you are really able to make some incredible progress with them. So I, I, I'm wondering, is this a typical thing that couples come together and they have all this love, but they have this real misunderstanding around each other's sexuality? Yes, this is the majority of what we see. We see this. I love each. I hear this all the time. I love we love each other. I love her. I love him. I love them all the time. But there's just something where we're not connecting. We're sexually incompatible. And and so I want to bust that myth a little bit that we're sexually incompatible. And I'd back that up to say, no, you just haven't learned how to play each other. You just, you know, you're a trumpet and you're a tuba (laughs) or you're the drums and you're the flute. And so it's, it's just learning. It's learning. How do I speak your language? How do I play your instrument? And most because we have this silence around sex and because we have such a lack of sex education comprehensively, and because we don't understand who we are as, as erotic beings, we really, it it comes down to learning. It comes down to learning, but most people think I'm incompatible instead. And then there's a lot of frustration because there's a lot of hopelessness as well that, well, if we're incompatible, then we can't stay in relationship even though we love each other because we're so dissatisfied sexually. You know, love, love is very important in a relationship. But so is that expression of how we express that love through sexuality, through pleasure, through our bodies. And that's something that can deepen love in relationship and deepen our love for ourselves. And so it's so important. And I see so many, sadly, so many couples who end their relationship with this misinformation that we're sexually incompatible or because I'm a person with a vulva or a cisgendered woman, then I must be sensual. Like that's what I must be. Or because I have a penis, then that means that I must be sexual and something is wrong or broken with me if I don't fit into stereotypes. And I see a lot of people get that advice like, oh, well, just make her, you know, chocolate and give her candles and everything's going to be okay. And or I'll just give him more blowjobs and everything's going to be okay. Well, that doesn't necessarily work. And what we've seen from all the people who've taken the quiz 
is that especially for people who identify as cisgendered heterosexual men, it isn't that most of them are sexual. It's a spectrum. They are actually all the blueprints. We have just as many energetics as we have sexuals. And so this, this we're mismatched isn't always true. It's just, you don't know who you are erotically. So therefore you don't know how to communicate that. And you don't know how to speak each other's language. One of you is speaking English saying, please touch me like this. And the other one's translating it into French. So that's where we get the mismatch. And it's just simply learning who am I? And then owning who you are and then knowing how to really please each other in that by learning each yeah. other's instruments. I mean, that's, that's the hard part, I think, especially, you know, I think for men, women, any gender, however you identify, I think there's, for most people, it doesn't feel intuitive or comfortable mm -hmm. to be vulnerable like that. Like this is who I am sexually you know, this is what I want. Even saying this feels good or doesn't feel good, I think is really, really hard for a lot of people to say. What are the most kind of common mismatches that you see in couples? Like they come in and they say, she does this or he does that, or what's most, most common? Yeah, the most common one I see is the sexual and the energetic when one person has a really high sexual and the other person has a really high energetic, usually like energetic sensual. And so- And what does that mean exactly? Tell us- Yeah, so the, the energetic is someone who loves tease, anticipation, space, not necessarily physical touch on their body, not a lot of hard fast, at least to begin with, you know, like in their warm up into their turn on the access point sort of the thing that unlocks their turn on is anticipation space tease longing yearning not being touched you know just a, an eye gaze from across the room for 10 minutes can do it for them they can go into <laughs> orgasm from that whereas the sexual is all about let me touch the parts you know the sexual is like let me get to the clitoris let me get to the genitals it's 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 not that the sexual is, is simple or doesn't lack depth. It doesn't lack depth, but it does have that, that simplicity of what we think of sex in our culture. So slot A goes into slot B or I'm touching genitals or we're doing oral sex, those kinds of things. So you imagine an energetic with a sexual, you've got the one person coming towards and touching and going like really fast on her clitoris all of a sudden. And then you've got the energetic who's just short circuiting and dissociating from their body because their, their nervous system, it's too much, too quick, too fast, especially if they're in their shadow side of their blueprint, it's just too much. And so they short circuit kind of float away and, and take it. And this points back to, it's so hard to say, stop, slow down. I don't want that. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why we don't communicate one, the taboo about sex, which we've already talked about, but there's also, I don't want to hurt my partner's feelings. Yep. You know, I don't want to say something that's going to, they're going to get triggered. And then all of a sudden we're in a fight because I said something to them. And, and we, you know, we saw some of that with Erica and Damon early on. It's like, it's like the defensiveness that can come up around, well, wait, you know, what am I doing wrong? I did this with everybody else and they were fine. And I hear that a lot from sexuals. I, I did this with everyone else. What's wrong with you? You know? <laughs> so then they're blaming their partner. And then the last one is we don't want to interrupt the, the moment. 
Mm. You know, and th- this one, one of my lovers actually pointed out to me, he was like, I was like, why don't, you know, why am I not speaking up here? Because there's moments where I still don't speak up. And I went, oh, he said, it's because you don't want to, you don't want to disturb the moment that we're in. We're having this lovely, delicious moment and you all you don't want to say right. that something's coming up for you. And I was like, oh yeah. And then you kind of couch it and you stuff it under the rug and then, well, when's the right time? You know, some, some of it's right timing. We often say, discuss it over dinner, talk about it over a meal together. And yes, maybe it's a lovely meal. And you, again, you don't want to like disturb this beautiful moment, mm-hmm. but this is what will enrich mm-hmm. and create more beautiful moments and deeper moments so that you're not, you know, you're not stuck in silence. And there's so much stuff around our voice. Mm-hmm. I think especially for those of us who identify as cisgendered women, I, I think it's really hard, or, or if you've been marginalized in any way, it's like, where's our voice? Who, how do we speak up? How do we heal so many, many decades of silence mm-hmm. around, and I have chills just talking about, it. it's like we, in some ways we've been really silenced around saying, here's what I want, and here's who I am as an empowered, erotic being, and not be shamed for it or made wrong or evil or bad for, for saying that. Do you teach your clients, do you have any advice in terms of like creating a context for having that conversation? Mm -hmm. Like, okay. I mean, do you say, well, first of all, I want to have this conversation at some point, but then if, if you do want to talk about it over dinner or in, in, in bed in a, in a particular moment, like, is there something that one should say so that people don't get triggered? Like, how can we put that into practice? Mm-hmm. Coming with vulnerability, coming when both of you are resourced. So if one of you is super tired or there's been a lot going on, that may not be right timing, but like you're both in a really good place and you're, you're really resourced. You've had enough sleep, you know, none of you are, are in a place where it's just depletion. I think that that's important. And coming from your own vulnerability, I often tell people, blame it on me. Like say, I, I saw this woman Jaya or, you know, Gwyneth and Jaya were talking about this <laughs> on the show. And I, I heard this thing and I'd really love to have, I'm excited about it. And I really love to have a conversation. I think also telling your partner, there's nothing that you've done wrong which can mm-hmm. sometimes be hard because we think that our partner has done something wrong and they're not pleasing us. But the, the truth is, is that they haven't done anything wrong. They just don't know. And, and oftentimes we haven't been communicating well with them because we don't know ourselves what really turns us on. And so this vulnerability of I'm excited and I'm also scared to have this conversation with you. I don't want you to take anything wrong. There's nothing that you've done wrong, but I'm really excited about what we can do with our sexual life. When would be a good time to have this conversation? When would you like to talk about sex with me? Let's have a hot, sexy talk, (laughs) you know, and go to dinner and and talk about sex. Have them take the quiz, have them watch the show. And these are conversation starters, right? I I like to find when I, when I find something I want to talk to one of my partners about, I'll, I'll find like an article or something interesting that I resonate with and send it to them and just say, what do you think about this? Hmm. So that I can start to feel and open up the conversation. And I think one of the things too, that's really important that was great about Erica and Damon 
was willingness. You know, you could see him blanch at the fact that she was articulated or defined as kinky. Like he was freaked out by that, Mm -hmm. but then he made the decision to go with it. I mean, that was very brave. I thought. And that's such a turning point, that turning point moment when somebody becomes willing and curious instead of defensive. And I've done so I've done something or it's not okay. That is what made things work. I mean, that's what creates the transformation when I when I'm working with a couple or you know, we have people who are coming to us taking the course and there's one person who's unwilling. What I'll often say is it only takes one person to change the relationship. You, and and then it was as true for my own relationship with my partner, we were really struggling. And I knew all the sex tips, I knew all the techniques, but I, I, this is when I was discovering the blueprints around when I was starting to create that framework. And my partner is kinky, primarily sensual, and I'm energetic sexual. So we were just totally mashing and didn't understand what was going on. And I just became super willing to, for the next year, I am committed to being 100% all in and doing whatever it takes. And I didn't even tell him. And by October of that year, we were on a pier in Jamaica and there was a lightning storm out in the ocean. It was just one of those magical moments. And I said, did you notice something different in our relationship? And he's like, yeah, what have you been doing? And I said, I didn't tell you, but I made a choice to be all in and do whatever it takes. And for these last 10 months, I have been doing that. And so it only takes one person to change. And there also needs to be a willingness from both partners. And so it makes it really hard when there's one person who is just unwilling to hear, unwilling to try anything new, unwilling to be in the conversation. That's a challenge. But when there's that turning point and that turning point can happen where that willingness comes in and we see it in the show that all of a sudden, boom, now everything becomes free and we can discover together and we can go on this journey together. And, and that's quite incredible. It's, it's quite a miraculous thing to see. What did being all in mean for you? All in. So I always kind of had that little voice. I don't know if any of you get that, that little voice in my head that would say, oh, there's something better. There's something here that I'm not fulfilled in and there's someone else who could fulfill it or that little voice that always had kind of one foot out the door of I could create something that isn't this with my partner. And I loved my partner. Like we loved each other very deeply, but we weren't connecting sexually. And we had a new baby. Like there was a lot. He'd lost his business. Like all this stuff was going on. That was really stressful. We weren't resourced. Mm-hmm. And and so I would do the coming to bed at night and initiating sex by touching his genitals. And he would go, uh, you know, not into it and kind of roll over. And then I would cry myself to sleep. I don't, maybe some of you have had this experience. You initiate sex and then it goes south and you're on, you're in the same bed. You love each other, but you're on two different worlds. Mm. And so, and on top of it, I'm supposed to be the sex goddess, right? I'm the sex expert and I can't get my own partner to have sex with me. <laughs> and, you know, I'm doing strip tees and G strings. I'm trying all the things in the sexual blueprint because it's my primary blueprint. <laughs> I'm speaking sexual and it wasn't landing for him. And then he'd cuddle with me and I, I wouldn't get it. I wouldn't get that that was initiate sex. I would roll my eyes like, oh God, he wants to cuddle again. Oh, <laughs> you know? I want to have sex. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so in, is this, this, these different pages, but we were both so willing. And I think that that's part of what, 
what turned it around. We, we just needed to learn each other's language. And today, you know, we're great. We have this amazing sex life. I know I saw, well, I saw the, I saw your energetic orgasm that you had. (laughs) What, what the heck is that? (laughs) I want, I want that. What is, so this is, this is interesting too, because my partner, he was like 5% energetic when he took the quiz, he did not have access to any of that. And so this is all learned. Like what you're seeing on the show was cultivated from him of really learning. And it was John Amaral, which is, who was in season one of uh, Goop Lab, who taught him how to start to play with energy and like helped him learn more about energy because he was super skeptical. He's like, no way, like Jaya's faking it or like something else going on. I don't know what it is, but he learned. And this meant so much to me because he was willing. Again, he, he was willing, he went out, he learned, he did the work for him to learn my language. And, and so what is that? What is an energetic orgasm? What's happening there? It's really hard to describe an energetic orgasm and what it is. It's, it's like trying to tell someone who lives on another planet what a, you know, what a flower is on our planet, who's never seen one and doesn't know what color is. So I, I say, go, have, go, go play with it and say yes to it. Like, just say yes to it. That, that's one way to start. And that's how Ian... Ian learned, he's like, I'm, instead of saying no and being skeptical, I'm just gonna say yes to this phenomenon. I'm just gonna say yes to it. And so what it is, is it's energy moving through the system. It literally is energy and the way I experience it is this jolt of energy moving through my spine that then creates the phenomenon of moving my body into these arches or into these big waves or into these, these the, the my breath changes and, and hitches as I'm moving into an energetic orgasm. And I think that there's something to be said for just seeing someone have one. Like they're they're kind of contagious. It's like once it becomes a possibility and, and someone sees it, then other people start to have it. I was actually teaching at an event once and a woman just we started doing a little I had done the demo and then we started to do like a little bit of play with couples. And people just started popping through the room, having spontaneous energetic orgasms for the first time. It was so fun to watch people just start to have it because it suddenly became a possibility in their mind that this much energy can move. Not What usually happens is the energy moves into the genitals and kind of stays there and then comes out in the physical climax. What happens with this is the energy starts to move through the whole body. It starts to move through the whole spine. And then it, it expands out. It can even go out through the top of the head. And when that starts to happen, you get a different phenomenon and a different kind of orgasm that moves through the whole body, through the whole wave. And is that, so is that what happened to Damon in the show? He had an energetic orgasm. Yeah, he start, he moved so deeply into the energy that the energy started moving through his body and he had an energetic orgasmic experience. He moved into an orgasmic state there using breath, using touch. So these are some of the tools to do that is breath and touch, willingness. You know, he, he had opened at that point and then allowed the energy to affect him by using breath and touch and the erotic energy moving through his whole body. And, you know, sometimes it comes out the eyes and tears. Sometimes it comes out as laughter. Sometimes it comes out as a lot of shaking and jerking and twitching, depending on your body system and your energetic system. Wow. I mean, he seemed as surprised as, as anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That was a highlight. (laughs) Was there ever a point where, you know, either with them or other couples, like, do you worry, do you ever worry? Do you think, okay. I don't know that this, that they're going to be able to 
get get there or put down these defenses or like does that does it happen that couples just can't get there? I think it's more about time. Mm-hmm. For me, it, it's sometimes there's just like some people move really fast. Like Damon and Erica, they moved really fast in the time that I was working with them because they were so willing because they wanted it so badly we were able to really do a lot in that time. Sometimes it takes two years to have that kind of transformation. Sometimes it's eight. I'm kind of a never give up. (laughs) Um, Because you don't know when that's gonna hit. You know, for some people it's like, there's a big experience and then it's about integrating that big experience on the other side. Sometimes it's, it's cumulative. And we get these little bits of growth over time. And then one day they're just like, oh my gosh, my life looks completely different. It wasn't some big event or some big transformation. It was just things look different now. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it's like, you'd think they're not getting anything. And it's like, oh, so much frustration. And and then all of a sudden, kaboom, there it is. But it's eight years later. And sometimes it's with someone else. But, But the work that we did laid the foundation for that later on. I'm a never lose hope unless there's harm. Mm. You know, if there's harm going on, then that's a different conversation. If there's unhealth, like it's just so extremely unhealthy for both people, then that that's a different conversation. But if it's truly a foundation of love and we just really need to shift this sexually, then yeah, it just may take time. Yeah, and I think there's a, I don't know. I mean, this might sound weird, but I do always think that, you know, if you, if you're in love with someone and you've chosen to be in a relationship and there's some obstacle, there's a mismatch, there's friction. It's like, I think it's karmic on some level. It's like you were drawn to this person in order to work something out. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it's a karmic bond and, and there's something to learn here. I mean, relationships teach us, they help us grow it's our reflection with another that help us know ourselves even more. Yeah. My therapist once told me that a, a relationship, like an intimate relationship was just a meditation and everything that's wrong with you. Mm. <laughs> and to bring that kind of accountability to it, like, you know, which goes back to what you're saying about, you know, you're doing it wrong or, you know, expecting somebody to, understand implicitly who you are instead of also coming with accountability around and vulnerability around your own defensiveness or your own, you know, wounds or what makes it really hard for you to show up for the person in that. Another way we could put it is it shows us the places where we don't love ourselves. Right. You know, it's like, oh, there's that insecurity or, oh, this shows up in relationship and let me be responsible for that in myself and go, can I love those parts of myself? Can I love this mirror, you know, as the mirror is being held up, can I look in the mirror and love myself? And I know it sounds so cliche, this, this idea of self-love and unconditional love for yourself, but it's key. It's so key. It's when I got that piece, when I was like, oh, I love me. I love this one, this Jaya. Wow, she's incredible. Everything in my life changed and everyone around me got that love too because it was no longer a projection out. They they didn't have to play those roles anymore for my awakening into that. They were free. The people in my life became free when I loved me. Yeah. And how does trauma 
play into this? Like, I, I imagine you see people who've had sexual trauma. So many of us have had, and, and it doesn't, you know, it, it takes many forms. It, it can be shaming. It can be, you know, somebody coming out to their parents and being excommunicated. It could be, you know, physical sexual trauma. How does that, how does that actually show up in people's sexual relationships? And, and what is the way through that? This piece on trauma, I think we don't escape it, any of us, because we live in such a sex negative culture and because we have such a lack of education and this silence. So, you know, just pointing back to what we were talking about at the beginning, I think we don't escape it. So how does it show up? It shows up in freeze in the body, in bracing in the body, which we see some in, in the show, but this our body can't, it can't let go. It can't sigh out because it's holding and it's holding and it's holding. So it shows up somatically in many ways. And I do my best not to interpret something, right? Like, oh, a leg turns in. Well, what, what that mean? I, I'm not going to interpret that, but I'm going to check in with the person. You're, I notice, you know, this comes to the presencing in someone's body. I notice that your leg just turned in. And what's happening there? So I might check in with the person. They might be like, oh, I'm getting so aroused. My leg's turning in. It's like, it's amazing. This feels so good. Or someone will say, my leg is turning in because I feel uncomfortable and something's hurting in my pelvis. And I go, okay, let's be with that for a moment. Let's be with what's showing up in the body. And then they'll have a memory. They'll have a memory of, oh, when I was 10, you know, there was this guy who freaked me out and he, he touched me and my body froze and now that's still there that artifact is still there in the in the tissue in in the soma and so we're then we can just be present with it and sometimes just being present with it helps that unwind Mm -hmm. so there's all these things that the body does that we don't know can come from these artifacts of these moments it could be a really intense experience and we can label that as trauma it can come from an energetic thing. It can, there's so many things that can kind of stick. Mm. A comment somebody made, and then it all of a sudden it's stuck about your body, you know, in this thing of commenting on each other's bodies. It's, that's also fascinating, because especially as between a certain age, when people are coming of age into puberty, those comments, that's the first time that we start to go, oh, like, wait a minute, and we look in the mirror and we start to judge ourselves, and those comments stick. And, and those are the ways it shows up. I don't want to be naked in front of my partner. I've got to be perfect in some way. I have to lose 15 pounds in order before I can have sex. I hear these things so frequently. And that comes from those early, early things that are said to us. And then how we take that in and then judge ourselves that something's not right with us. Something's not right with my body. And, and these can come anywhere from the time we're born from the time we're born we're taught about our bodies and that shows up i see i even see that trauma birth trauma showing up in the way someone holds themselves in the way that they speak so our voices get affected our the way we relate to another person gets affected ability to make eye contact there are so many things that can come from these events in our lives and i think part of our 
part of our mission or part of our purpose is to unravel all of that conditioning and programming and these experiences that have shaped us and underneath there is who we really are mm-hmm. and sometimes that that is the journey that that's the whole if there's a point you know to going on this journey of uncovering and, and you know some people say well why would i even want to do this it takes so much courage and it feels like work and it's like because the reward underneath that is you mm-hmm. and loving you absolutely and and tactically if somebody is in a situation where you know they're feeling like the bracing coming it's really that just tuning in listening to what the tissue is saying yeah this can and we can practice it right now it's like again close your eyes go in and if there's an area that feels discomfort can you sit with that for a moment and breathe into it and then see what notice what happens as you add breath to it notice what happens if you put your hand on that place and you add some touch to it and just be with it and allow content to come up often it's images thoughts body sensation emotion that come up as we start to be with it and right now you know because i'm not there with you all just do something light i wouldn't choose something deep and heavy because we don't want to open you up to that unless you have support but you know just choose little things little discomforts little and then you can do the same thing with pleasure you know as we talked at the very beginning just going in and being with pleasure like okay where does it feel good now where does that feel good and can i be with that ask yourself permission because maybe you can't be with that and you need to be with the other parts and so here i am i'm being with the pleasure and then i can add breath to that and i can add touch to that and just notice and keep noticing what comes up as you're with what feels good and accepting it as it comes up yep yeah loving and accepting yourself and as that arises oh i'm really turned on right now can i love myself and my turn on yes oh amazing yeah oh that's great you are so amazing jaya thank thank you you so much thanks for tuning in to my conversation with jaya our netflix show sex love and goop is out today i hope you get a chance to watch And to help you explore more, our team has gathered together the most effective sex, relationship, and intimacy tools we know of, along with advice from our trusted experts. Just head to goop.com backslash podcast sex. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.